You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, September 25th, 2023, the 978th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So here we are back to our regularly scheduled programming. Thank you all for bearing with me throughout last week while I was forced to miss a few days for a wedding and for an extremely long drive and for moving, all of which went just spectacularly. 
I'm very happy with my car. I'm very happy with my two friends in love and now married and ready to embark on a new journey in life. And I am happy with myself because now I have a place that I will be living and I don't have to leave again for, well, two weeks. But that's only for a couple of days and then I'll be right back. And the good news is I'm actually going to attempt to build out a much more proper sort of studio here and at some point start churning out a little more video, not for this show because that's just not possible. But I do plan to be doing more of that in general in the near future. And I will also be trying to perfect the sound in this room. So it feels a little echoey today. And it might be like that just for this week or a couple of weeks, but I am going to be making this whole thing much better, I hope. And so thank you for bearing with me in the process of all that. Now, when I miss some time, I am going to miss some fairly significant stories or some continued development on the major stories that we've been tracking, the major narratives that we've been tracking all around the world for the last few years. And so today I want to take a little time and kind of catch us up to where things seem to be right now when it comes to Ukraine, as that narrative continues to expand in new and ever stranger directions. Now, the first thing of note is that last week, the comedic actor himself, Volodymyr Zelensky, traveled to the United States of America to visit with the United Nations, despite the fact that most important world leaders did not show up. Now, Joe Biden, of course, was there because Joe Biden is not even a real world leader. So he does not qualify in that important calculation. They also had Jacinda Ardern there with her weird skeletal jaw rattling back and forth as she squeaks Kiwi about climate change and censorship. And we had, of course, the comedic actor in Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, giving his own little speech about how everybody needs to send him money so that they can finally exterminate the Slavic people forever, as they've been trying to do for millennia, apparently. Missing from this United Nations affair, the pinnacle of global regime, one world government, the United Nations. Missing from this affair were Xi Jinping of China, the leader of that Slavic nation, Russia himself, Vladimir Putin, and even guys like the UK's Rishi Sunak skipped the meeting. Then the comedic actor traveled to Washington, D.C., and then he went on to Canada and the world beyond. But let's start in America, and there's actually a pretty good summary, at least from a regime perspective, in CNN done by a man named Stephen Collinson, who Steve Bannon often notes is the smartest person at CNN. Now, whether that's true or not, I'm not entirely sure. He's very regime, and I've read him on this show a few times. But in terms of a wide-ranging summary, this is pretty good. So this is from Thursday. Zelensky's mixed reception in Washington may be a taste of political storm to come. Oh, how interesting. The blue and gold flag-draped hero worship of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's last Washington trip which stirred comparisons to Winston Churchill's wartime stand against Nazism, was a distant memory on Thursday. 
Nine months later, Zelensky was back in town and he and his hosts learned some jarring lessons about one another at a moment when a path to ultimate victory in the war against Russia seems increasingly distant. And the mainstream media has been winding back on a bunch of the Ukraine stuff, making it very clear to everyone that Ukraine is probably not going to win. Yes, they told you that there was no doubt of Ukraine's ultimate victory in this very real war. They've made up all sorts of stories to let you know that Russians truly are the devils. They are evil incarnate. And we must protect Ukraine's sovereign borders. Despite Ukraine being one of the most corrupt countries in the world, a hotbed of human trafficking and drug trafficking and weapons trafficking, a country with operational U.S. Defense Department funded bio labs on the Russian border and a thousand years of anti Russian history. It also just so happened that the eastern quarter of the country where this war is being waged was the location of a now nine years long ethnic civil war brought about by the overthrow of that country under the direct influence of the fake president Joe Biden and the people who are still around him, like Victoria Newland, And of course, the general public is learning more almost every day about the corruption of the fake president and his degenerate son in Ukraine, selling the interests of the American people, mostly through energy deals, bringing in tens of millions of dollars in exchange. None of it has gone like they said, none of it at all. And that includes the spring counteroffensive, which became a spring slash summer counteroffensive, which became a summer counteroffensive, which became, hey, was there a summer counteroffensive? And they did it. They tried. They failed. They have said they took back little plots of land here and there, but they're no closer to winning. And now the regime is freaking out. And we will get to more of that in a little bit. Zelensky got an abrupt preview of how Donald Trump's possible return to power after the 2024 election and how the ex-president's current sway over the ungovernable Republican-led House of Representatives could rupture the multi-billion dollar lifeline on which Ukraine's survival depends. So Donald Trump is going to have a possible return to power. How strange indeed. How could that be possible when he lost to Joe Biden, Joe Biden being the most popular president in all of history, 81 million real lawful American votes. And he has done such a good job, right? Employment is at almost nothing. Joe Biden has unified our allies around the world. There is no immigration problem. Sure, he has censored the speech of millions of Americans, but only in instances of misinformation. He got that vaccine out there and saved countless lives for sure, right? Joe Biden has done a really, really good job on everything. Donald Trump got defeated in the biggest blowout in electoral history. 81 million real lawful American votes. Even though Donald Trump increased his own total by 20%, Joe Biden did it even bigger. So despite Trump's massive loss, despite the very violent insurrection to follow, all of the election denial telling the big lie and whatnot, his so-called E. Jean Carroll rape case scandal, 
And then these 91 indictments, he is so indicted. Despite all of that, Donald Trump still might win the 2024 election. You can talk about polls all you want. You don't need polls to understand that that means a massive, massive portion of our country knows all that other stuff is bullshit. But this is the preview Zelensky's getting. Donald Trump embodies the anti-Ukraine war narrative, and he always will, just like Donald Trump became identified with and defined by being counter to the central narrative throughout COVID and throughout election fraud and throughout all of these other issues they try to nail him on, including the DeSantis simps, by the way. Donald Trump is already identified with the other position. So when people realize that was the proper position all along, it doesn't matter what they're going to say about Donald Trump, what they're going to point out about Donald Trump. No one is going to believe it because Trump is already identified as that thing. Donald Trump and MAGA are identified with being anti the Ukraine war. Now, there might be some anti-war leftists who are going to claim that mantle for themselves, but they're not right about any of the other stuff. This actually is America first. This mindset actually is the only coherent one on offer. And that is the point. If you have the truth on a wide variety of issues, which does not mean that you're right about every single detail, we will never be right about all the little details. But if we are directionally correct about all of these issues at the heart of the issue, were we on the right side or the wrong side, we are going to be correct. And when you do that across the board and all of the logical implications of all of that make sense connected with one another, you can be pretty sure you're right. People who are not connected to the truth and not interfacing with reality do not get that feeling. They have things they can be convinced of. They have things they can convince other people of, but they can never withstand ultimate scrutiny of their positions because at the bottom, when they are forced to say, I don't know, as we are often forced to do because we do not have all the answers. Their position immediately looks unprincipled and immoral and potentially downright evil. And I'll give you an example. This is why I always start at this position. Do you believe Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes? Yes or no? My answer is no, I do not believe that. And I can defend that position against virtually any opposition. I have never heard a single example of opposition to that statement that suggests I am wrong about not believing that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. And the truth is the people in the opposition won't even oftentimes say they believe it because they know how dishonest it would be to say that they actually believe Joe Biden got the total votes as reported over two thirds of the country in the Rasmussen poll now for quite a long time, say that they believe the 2020 election was stolen. More than half of Americans think the 2024 election is going to be affected by fraud. For most people in most circles, 
trying to claim that Joe Biden actually got 81 million real lawful American votes and that the TV told us correctly about it is the sort of thing that people are going to smirk at and roll their eyes at and maybe laugh at and maybe mock. And when standard issue villagers figure out which positions they might get mocked for, that's when they stop expressing those positions. That's one of the reasons why all the people supporting Ron DeSantis are on some level election fraud deniers. Because if they accepted the fullness of the election fraud and they accepted that Donald Trump actually did win by a lot, well, it would be immediately obvious that their support of Ron DeSantis is kind of complicit in treason. You can't expect Ron DeSantis to go out and fix our rigged elections when he just came to power through one. And you can go back on that quite a distance. But the point is, when we both get to the bottom, the very root of a claim, do you believe that Joe Biden's vote total is true as reported? Once you get to that point, you can judge the thought, the morality in the claim. It could turn out that the vote totals from 2020 were exactly as reported and my position would still be the responsible, moral, intelligent position to have taken because there is absolutely no reason to believe that Joe Biden even could have received 81 million real lawful American votes. And they don't let us check the people who tell us the answer lie to us about absolutely everything else and everything else we know about history and human nature suggests that the result as we were told it makes no sense whatsoever. Considering all those factors, there's only one responsible position to take. When you get to the roots of every issue, as this example does, it becomes really, really easy to see who's who. And if the position you've reached throughout that process covers a wide range of issues, and that interpretation makes them all fit together in an understandable fashion, there is a very good chance you're right. The regime position never has that opportunity that never works for them because the regime's position is a hodgepodge of media narratives that were meant to create a certain effect through manipulation and dishonesty at the time they were first disseminated. All knowledge produced from that is knowledge that has incorporated one or many lies already. That's why the whole process of awakening is figuring out how to rid oneself of all of those lies. The media can barely maintain a consistent and logically coherent narrative for even a few days, much less a few months or a few years or a few decades. And that's with the ability to revise the stories and still get mass public consent even after the revisions. And of course, it's because of these revisions that the people who hold those views can never actually get all the way down to the roots because they just don't think they could be lied to about that many things. It is actually startling to me that these DeSantis simps can understand that the election was stolen, understand that nothing changed in the election process so far, except for the public's understanding of election fraud, and then claim that Ron DeSantis is going to win that rigged election through the power of his popularity by not being Donald Trump, 
and that Ron winning a rigged election is not only the path to fixing elections, which is itself insane, but would somehow be seen as any more legitimate. Republicans are the people most likely to be tuned into election fraud. That means they know Donald Trump has already had an election stolen from him. They look at the polls. They know Donald Trump's policies. And we're supposed to believe that they're just going to accept the results of a stolen primary and then not realize that Ron winning a rigged election in the fall of 2024 would itself be illegitimate. They can know the thing is stolen and then still think that there's some rational way they can explain their support of Ron DeSantis. And it's because people usually don't take them all the way down to the roots that they're able to get away with it. At the bottom of their support of Ron DeSantis, they are required to either say that there is no election fraud in this country and Donald Trump actually lost, or there is election fraud and Donald Trump would have won, which means they're immediately complicit with the regime in trying to remove Donald Trump from the chessboard. That's why they twist themselves in knots to come up with justifications for what they're doing. Kurt Schlichter, for instance, says Donald Trump wasn't powerful enough to win the battle over whether or not he won. Therefore, we need someone more powerful like Ron DeSantis, who could actually defeat the fraud after the fact because Donald Trump just didn't do enough. He's not a good enough manager. It was all about his personal characteristics, right? And if you're the sort of person who thinks that you're better and stronger and wiser and more knowledgeable than Donald Trump, then you would accept that as an answer. There's no smart person on the planet who thinks that he is more informed than the man who has spent at least four of the last seven years as president. Their position at its roots is untenable, which is why they will always end up wrong. You can be wrong about all the factual claims if at the very bottom, the thing you are saying is true. Do I believe Joe Biden got 81 million real lawful American votes? No, I do not. There is no defeating of that argument. It is the right position in a deep, principled, moral sense and represents the only way that you could move forward successfully in a country with elections. They must be verifiable by the people or they are meaningless. When they are actively hidden, no one in the world should ever give their consent to that election being decided in their names. And because we have all been cowed into believing we are actually subjects, we simply sit there and accept it. Likewise, with the war in Ukraine, the media lied, the fake president lied, the global organizations lied, the politicians lied, everyone involved in the situation has provably lied. They are funneling money into a foreign country over a border dispute that has no bearing or should have no bearing on our country's security or prosperity. There is an ongoing blood feud in that region for the last millennia. They're lying about drug trafficking, weapon trafficking, human trafficking, money laundering, bio labs, and CIA trained and funded Nazis, some of whom just may have been involved in January 6th. Now, all of them will deny that all of that stuff is true. 
They don't have reasons to deny any of it because the same sources telling them it's all not true now were the same sources that told them before. Oh, yeah, all that stuff is definitely true. And when you get to the roots, to the bottom of all of that, do you believe that the U.S. should be supporting Ukraine? The only moral principled answer is no, of course, I don't believe that because every reason I've been given to believe it comes from the same people who lie about absolutely everything and ultimately can't explain any of this and intentionally leave out critical facts like, hey, isn't that country run by the comedic actor, one of the most corrupt countries in the world, the one that this same corrupt fake president was corrupt in the one that people around him and his former boss, Barack Obama, the same country they overthrew that country. So no, I don't believe it. We could turn out to be wrong about all of the critical facts in Ukraine and still have a coherent, morally principled position that is as simple as None of what I know about this situation would ever lead me to give my consent to an all-out world war over this issue. Not a single thing I've been told so far by the people arguing for that position even comes within the same universe of wanting to approve an all-out world war to solve these problems. And of course, we have the added fact of it very likely being the case that absolutely none of what they're saying is true. But hey, back to the article. And far from clearing a new $24 billion administration request to sustain Ukraine's war effort, the chaotic house failed again Thursday to even fund the defense of the United States. As a new attempt to pass a military appropriations bill foundered against hard right opposition. So, they're not passing this continuing resolution for the budget quickly enough. They're not going to allow the regime to just keep spending and spending and spending, exploiting the full faith and credit of the American worker for decades to come. Stephen Collinson is implying or perhaps even asserting that not only will we not be able to defend Ukraine we're not going to be able to defend ourselves, and it's all those nasty Republicans in the House. For their part, Americans glimpsed the sapping impact of a brutal war on a leader who rallied stunning resistance to a Russian invasion, but also shoulders the burden of months of death and sacrifice forced upon his people. At times, the comic actor turned wartime hero, see, it's not just me, looked exhausted and unsmiling. In a CNN interview, he confessed the personal strain of his furtive life as Russia's top target. Oh, they've targeted him so hard. And in public appearances, Zelensky's patience sometimes frayed, especially when berating the United Nations for failing to protect its members from aggression. What is he asking for? Ukraine peacekeepers that they will then just assert our NATO members and then they'll have their cause to go for a world war? You have to love how hard Collinson is repeating the slogans throughout this article. He is letting everyone know that he is a hardcore supporter of the regime. In a U.S. capital that has undergone an ideological shift since he was last here, just before Christmas 2022, it now takes more than quoting President Franklin Roosevelt and drawing allusions to 9-11 to woo lawmakers. 
And you kind of have to love when you have a guy like Stephen Collinson, who's making it very, very clear that he is a regime stooge suggesting that all it took last time was some quoting of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and some allusions to 9-11 to convince the entire Congress to give him all of our money. There's also a question of whether Zelensky's relentless efforts to shame the world into action might be reaching the point of diminishing returns. The pugnacious president might think so too, judging by his multiple and poignant expressions of gratitude for previous help as polls show more Americans are skeptical of aid to Ukraine. He may need to develop new political skills to adapt to a vicious phase in American politics when Ukraine is being dragged into an impeachment saga for the second time and is a central general election issue. And as that issue comes up more and more as we discover or as the public discovers more about Joe Biden, most of which we already know and have known for quite a while, the report on the Biden laptop by Marco Polo does exist out there in the real world. Everyone has access to it. And by simply reading that, we can know what the media will eventually be reporting about the Bidens. It will be a good idea to keep in mind the fact that Volodymyr Zelensky, the comedic actor himself, is the one who released, we are told, the transcript of Donald Trump's phone call with him, the one Adam Schiff imagined for the world and read his imagined transcript to the world in the lead up to the first impeachment hoax of Donald Trump. Once Schiff did that, Zelensky presented the real transcript, we're told, and that completely blew up the claims of Schiff and others who were leading that impeachment effort. So there is probably more to find out about the comedic actor. Zelensky's trip to the United States, whose democracy, while battered, is still a bulwark of free political systems around the world, was a mirror image of another journey made by Russian President Vladimir Putin last week to restock his own arsenal in a meeting with North Korean tyrant Kim Jong-un in Russia's Far East. Now, does anyone believe that North Korea is arming Russia to take on Ukraine or that Vladimir Putin is there begging Kim Jong-un for help the way Volodymyr Zelensky is going around the world, begging in D.C., begging at the U.N., begging in Canada? This is not a mirror image. It is a total inversion within the false reality. America's democracy, while battered, is not, in fact, a bulwark for free political systems around the world. That's preposterous. There is an illegitimate president right now trying to imprison the leader of the political opposition, censoring the citizens using federal law enforcement to pursue them and terrorize them and literally trying to subvert the nation and hand it over to the global order. This is not a bulwark for free political systems around the world. These people are absolutely insane. So Volodymyr Zelensky went to meet the fake president in the Oval Office, and they had a little five-minute media event where they both said nice things about one another and gave their position on the whole Russia-Ukraine affair. And if you've already heard it or don't like listening to what world leaders, in quotes, are actually saying, by all means, skip forward five minutes. 
everyone in? Mr. President, it's an honor to welcome back to the White House and the Oval Office. And earlier this week at the UN General Assembly, I made it clear that, uh, that no nation can be truly secure in the world if, in fact, we don't stand up and defend the freedom of Ukraine uh, from facing this Russian brutality and aggression. That's why we brought together a coalition of more than 50 countries, more than 50 countries, to help Ukraine defend itself, and uh, it's critical. And that's why, together with our partners in Ukraine, we have provided humanitarian aid, as well as tens of millions of people with food, clean water, and so much more. And that's why, that's why we've begun the process of formalizing our long-term commitment to Ukraine security alongside the G7 and with other partners. And that's why we supported just and lasting peace, one that respects Ukrainian sovereignty and its territorial integrity. Mr. President, the brave people of Ukraine, and that's not hyperbole, the people of Ukraine have shown enormous bravery, enormous bravery, has inspired the world, literally inspired the world with their determination to defend these principles. And together with our partners and allies, the American people are determined to see to it that you do all we can to ensure the world stands with you, and that is our overwhelming objective right now. So welcome, welcome. We have much to talk about. Thanks so much, Mr. President. So, warm and, and strong words to all the Ukrainians from you. Thank you, thank you, appreciate. I'm glad to meet you. Uh, it's already the show time this year. Thank you for the invitation. Our regular dialogue has proved that our countries are really truly allies and strategic friends, and we greatly appreciate the vital assistance provided by the United States to Ukraine to combat Russian terror, really terror. Today I'm in Washington to strengthen our coalition to defend Ukrainian children, our families, our homes, freedom and democracy in the world. And I started my day in the U.S. Congress to thank his members and to people of America for all the big, huge support. I felt trust between us and it allowed us to have a frank and constructive dialogue, Mr. President, and this trust and support I felt from both chambers and both bodies, and grateful for this. Uh, then with the First Lady, uh, I honored innocent victims uh, of September 11 Memorial in Pentagon, all those who tragedies, who deaths, who died on American Airlines Flight 77. It's very important to all in the world to remember the victims of terror and value everyone who fights with it. And now I look forward, Mr. President, to our discussion for the benefit of our nations and the world. When it comes to weapons, we will discuss everything with a special emphasis on air defense. And just to say that, especially this day, uh, one year ago, we had we made <clears throat> big exchange of prisoners, uh, war prisoners, and journalists. And it was when this day when we got all defenders of Azovstal and also citizens of the United States. And I'm happy that 
we, we did it, uh, Alexander Druke and Andrew Ty Hume, both from, both from Alabama. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Mr. President, what's your message to Americans? Are you So mostly pretty standard stuff. It was interesting to hear Zelensky focus on honoring the 9-11 victims with Dr. Jill. Zelensky tried to look very sad and shake his head and furrow his brow while remarking on the tragic events from 9-11. Now he is there in his standard olive green military dictator outfit. It is very strange from an optical perspective. Are we just not supposed to see a president in a suit during a time of war? Is that really where we are? I mean, we see Vladimir Putin wearing suits. Volodymyr Zelensky has worn this outfit or a crew neck sweatshirt or a t-shirt for like 19 months now. Are we still supposed to be pretending that he's trapped in some bunker? He thanked America for its support and Joe Biden made sure that he knew it's not hyperbole when we call the Ukrainian people brave. How touching. Collinson wrote, Biden unveiled yet another U.S. aid package for Ukraine worth $325 million that was expected to include more cluster munitions and air defense equipment, according to two U.S. officials, marking the second time the U.S. has provided the controversial weapon to Kiev. Now, it's controversial because until they started promoting cluster munitions being sent to Ukraine, use of cluster munitions was considered to be a war crime. And the regime even had accused Russia of using them last year. That's what now qualifies as controversial to the man who still considers the United States to be a bulwark for free political systems around the world. But there was also disappointment for Ukraine, as National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that the U.S. will not be providing long-range Army tactical missile systems, at least for now. The decision is the latest sign of the limitations of help, even from Biden, who has led the Western alliance more effectively than any other president since the end of the Cold War. He has led the Western alliance more effectively than any other president since the end of the Cold War. How is that possible? What could it even mean? Joe Biden's biggest supporters have said that Joe Biden's great accomplishment was unifying NATO. But right now we see NATO fraying with the polls backing away. We've seen some friction in the level of French support for this Ukrainian war effort. NATO and the EU may not even exist after all of this is over, and you kind of have to think they're not going to. And by the way, let's hope to see the same thing for the UN. But that was supposed to be Joe Biden's big accomplishment. At the beginning of this crisis, Joe Biden sent Five Eyes Intelligence over to China, who then gave it to Vladimir Putin. The spring, spring, summer, summer counteroffensive kind of never happened. And to the extent it did, it failed spectacularly. 
all the regions that were being fought over had referenda to become part of Russia like over a year ago. And the only thing we haven't seen in order to complete this unmitigated loss and disaster is a negotiated end to conflict. The people who are still in support of this war want Joe Biden to ramp it up all the way and begin some sort of nuclear conflict with Russia. I don't know how anything Joe Biden has done can be construed in these terms in any way. He has led the Western alliance more effectively than any other U.S. president since the end of the Cold War. So that's Bush one, Clinton, Bush two, Obama and Trump. Joe Biden has led the Western alliance better than all of them, according to Stephen Collinson. Maybe he's just being sarcastic at this point. I don't know. The president has constantly sought to balance U.S. weapons offers against his underlying aim of avoiding a clash between NATO and nuclear superpower Russia, sparking a wider war. His hawkish critics, however, accuse him of slow walking weapon systems he eventually decides to provide and of offering Ukraine only the means to ensure its survival, but not inflict a comprehensive defeat on Russia. So how can Stephen Collinson say that Joe Biden has led most effectively. Perhaps he's saying that Joe Biden is the only one who has bothered trying to attack Russia at all. Collinson writes, Zelensky can return to Kiev, which endured a fearsome Russian barrage overnight, time to coincide with his U.S. visit. Reassured that there is, at least now, majority support in Congress for Ukraine's resistance. So, Zelensky is their number one target and Russia attacks Kiev while the whole world knows that he's not there. Ha! Gosh, Stephen Collinson, what can it all mean together? How come none of it actually makes sense? It's like they're just making it up as they go along. And the funny thing is that if you are subject to a total inversion within the false reality, you would think Zelensky escaped just in time. Thank goodness he was able to get away before this attack on Kiev, or else he could have been one of the victims. There really are child brains who believe that. On Friday, Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, however, failed to even emulate his Senate colleague McConnell by appearing publicly with Zelensky, though he did have his picture taken with him in a closed door meeting. And Zelensky later told a small group of U.S. editors, including from CNN, that McCarthy, quote, said that they will be on our side. It's not simple that they will support the speaker who is locked in a showdown with his most extreme conservative members that could shut down the government next week. Explained that the chamber didn't have time for a joint session with the Senate to hear a speech from Zelensky. And he refused to commit holding a vote on the $24 billion package for Ukraine and complained that Biden should be more concerned over immigration on the southern border. So we have an inconsistency here between what McCarthy is saying in public, what he is doing according to these policies, and what is being reported to have been said behind closed doors by the comedic actor Zelensky. And so we are being told two mirror image narratives here to appeal to those addicted to the central narrative and those kind of getting the fuzzier version of the counter narrative that doesn't have all the details filled in. It's just the version that tries to understand and show how the central narrative is clearly wrong. 
Supporters of the regime are being told that it is only the most extreme conservatives who have this problem with funding Ukraine, and they believe that it's going to get done behind the scenes. They're okay with Democrats and Republicans working together as long as it's on something they approve of. When Republicans are up for joining them to accomplish their agenda items, they will consider each one of those Republicans one of the good ones. The counter-narrative side will be told that the House has stood up in opposition to further Ukraine funding, but we better keep an eye on McCarthy because it sounds like he's making deals behind the scenes. Collinson writes, McCarthy leads a conference that includes many pro-Trump members who are mirroring the ex-president's hostility to sending more aid to Ukraine. Trump has vowed to end the war within 24 hours if he is the Republican nominee and wins the 2024 presidential election, a pledge likely to prove favorable to Putin, whom he has often tried to impress. So once again, the regime mouthpieces are creating the identity in people's minds of Donald Trump as the avatar of failing to support Ukraine. Any attempt to spin that otherwise in the future will ultimately fail. Collinson is also suggesting that Donald Trump is obsessed with trying to impress Vladimir Putin, to impress him through this pledge to end the war, because any way the war might end right now would favor Vladimir Putin and Russia's desired goals for the outcome, which once again makes it astoundingly clear that Russia is winning. If Trump would make the war end and things would stay as they are now, and that would favor Russia, that means Russia's winning. There's no way around that. This is how and why they're not able to get themselves out of these narrative quandaries they continue to find themselves in. And again, the answer for how Donald Trump could end that war in 24 hours is to simply cut off funding. Without the funding, there is no more war. He could also end the Ukraine war narrative in a single day. If he were recognized as president, he would simply say the war has come to an end and that would be the end of it. Who's going to go out there and convince the public that he's wrong? I actually cannot tell you how much I hope that happens just because it's going to be hilarious. Collinson then goes through some of the reaction from the GOP establishment and from the more MAGA branch of the GOP never really going full MAGA, but Collinson makes his way through Vivek Ramaswamy and gets all the way to J.D. Vance and Josh Hawley. So I guess we're practically there. He also mentions Nikki Haley, and I may still try to get to the Kristen Welker interview and cover all of that. But at one point in that interview, Donald Trump says to Kristen Welker, who keeps asking about the Nikki Haley position and wanting Donald Trump to respond, he basically just says, Who cares about what Nikki Haley thinks about this issue? That is absolutely meaningless. It doesn't matter at all. Why would I respond to her position? She's utterly irrelevant. And he's, of course, right about that. And what you can see in that exchange is Kristen Welker's attempt to support the central narrative and make Donald Trump interface with the central narrative while he exists completely outside of it. It matters to standard issue uniparty right villagers what Nikki Haley thinks or what Chris Christie's saying, or how Ron DeSantis really has the capacity to lead the Republican Party. All of that exists within the central narrative. 
the standard issue uniparty right villager understands what's inside the central narrative. Some of them memorize the whole thing and will argue very strongly. They will sound very informed while repeating all the slogans because they understand all the supporting information for those slogans. They haven't actually looked at any of them to see if any of that supporting information is coherent and makes sense. They haven't examined whether or not the conclusions of all that supporting information are coherent and make sense relative to one another. But they memorize it all and they're happy to repeat it and they know that it means they're right and all of MAGA is wrong. They're just never actually able to explain why. But those people still care very much about what Nikki Haley says. And Donald Trump has no hesitation whatsoever in making sure everyone knows that what Nikki Haley says about geopolitics doesn't matter at all to anyone. She is out there repeating the slogans of the military industrial complex and the uniparty right in America that wants to keep these forever wars so that the United States and its military can remain the world's police force to take over other nations for the global regime. Her opinion does not matter to other world leaders. It does not matter to Donald Trump. Her words have no bearing on global affairs whatsoever. It doesn't matter that there are people with Nikki Haley's opinions. It is simply irrelevant across the board. Nikki Haley has as much influence on world events as the guy in the stands at a football game who is dressed up in costume with his face painted has on the result on the field. If he wasn't there, nothing about the game would change at all. Just like if Nikki Haley wasn't talking about geopolitics, geopolitics would not be changed in the slightest. Nikki Haley can go around the world and talk about geopolitics absolutely everywhere without end, and it will not have any effect on geopolitics. I would imagine that MAGA alt media figures probably have more real world impact on geopolitics than Nikki Haley does, and that is still very, very little. Let's close out this Collinson article. Skepticism about the administration's policy has also been fueled by the failure of Ukraine's long-awaited counteroffensive to break the back of Russia's invasion through territory that has been heavily mined. Any hopes of a long-term peace deal are meanwhile undercut by Ukraine's determination to recover lost territory and Russia's history of ignoring ceasefires in the region. Putin also has incentives for keeping the war going. It is critical to his prestige and desire to recreate a greater Russia sphere of influence. He may also wait to see whether a power shift in the White House could see a returning President Trump keen to end the war on Russia's terms. So the counteroffensive failed. Russia can keep the war going for as long as they like, knowing that their position will only improve over time and peace will not happen before then. Because Ukraine just hopes to regain its lost territory and Russia would ignore a ceasefire. Yes, Russia would ignore the ceasefire. All of this is to convince the reader to emotionally provide even greater support for Ukraine than they ever had before, while also being told that everything they've believed and done and supported has been wrong or has failed. Collinson writes, that all means Biden's assurances to stick with Zelensky for, quote, as long as it takes, may not be as ironclad as they once seemed. 
With no end in sight for the biggest war in Europe since World War II, Ukraine's fate seems increasingly aligned with Biden's own political destiny. Think about what's being sold here. Ukraine and Biden are intimately connected. The fate of both is going to go in the same direction. If Ukraine loses, Biden will lose. If Biden loses, Ukraine will lose. It all depends on that election. If you don't support Joe Biden, that means you don't support Ukraine. Now, there are some people out there who say that they do support Ukraine, but don't support Joe Biden. All of those people are trying to find a Republican who can quote unquote win a rigged primary. They are all extraordinarily anti-Trump. What happens if Trump ends up the nominee? Well, then they still have to support Ukraine, which means they're going to have to just come out and support Joe Biden. The truth is that they already support Joe Biden now, and they have since 2020. If they hadn't, then they wouldn't have been covering up election fraud. Again, there is no escaping that fact. They have supported the legitimacy of Joe Biden. Now they are going against, directly against the duly elected president and in the process denying the fullness of the problem of rigged elections, stolen elections in this country. Every bit of that supports the regime and them being quote unquote conservative or Republican does nothing to change that. That is the price paid by supporting someone other than Donald Trump and denying the extent of election fraud. There is no other outcome. The craftiest of these people will attempt to tell you that someone better needs to be in there. Donald Trump can't get the job done. Someone else can get the job done and must get the job done. But you can't believe that from any of those people because those people actually haven't been fighting the whole time to expose election fraud. They've been doing the exact opposite. So when they're not putting out any effort to expose election fraud, why should we listen to them? When they say we need a different leader, what they're really saying is they don't care about election fraud. They care about making their guy the leader. So the battle over the government shutdown is happening this week. They have a deadline of September 30th. There is some attempts to extend that for a month, and there are some trying to extend it into 2024 and push Ukraine funding as part of that process. So we'll see how that goes. But it's pretty clear that Volodymyr Zelensky did not have the same sort of trip to America that he had a year ago when he visited. And everyone wore their little blue and yellow outfits with all their blue and yellow Ukraine flag regalia. The echoes of Slava Ukraini ringing off the walls of the rotunda. That just two and a half years ago was the site of a very deadly insurrection. Oh, it was so emotional. People just don't like him that much anymore. And then, of course, we've got all those MAGA extremists in the Republican Party. So the comedic actor left the United States and he went up to Canada to go meet with Fidel Castro's bastard son, Justin Trudeau. And as I say every time. If you don't believe that Justin Trudeau is Fidel Castro's bastard son, I suggest you go read a Medium article by Karen Leibowitz from July 15th, 2020, entitled, Of Course Fidel Castro is Justin Trudeau's Dad. Nobody has debunked anything. And of course, she's right. 
No one can debunk the truth. They can say that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. But there is no way to debunk it because it's the truth. And you can just use your eyes and use your brain. And assuming that both of those things are functioning, you can look at Justin Trudeau and see pictures of Fidel Castro as a younger man. And then you can see pictures of Justin Trudeau's mom and Fidel Castro together romantically bonded at the time Justin Trudeau would have had to have been conceived. And then you can see the fact that Justin Trudeau's reported dad, Pierre Trudeau, looks absolutely nothing like him. You have eyes, you have a brain. You can see that Justin Trudeau is Fidel Castro's bastard son. It's as simple as that. Now, normally we are taught to expect that Canadians are just the world's nicest people, eh? And as the world's nicest people, you would expect very little controversy, especially Nazi controversy, but it just so happens that there was a Nazi controversy in Canada over the weekend revolving around the comedic actor from Ukraine. This is from yesterday in the post-millennial. Trudeau Zelensky honor 98-year-old Ukrainian World War II veteran who served in Waffen-SS. The Parliament of Canada provided a loud all-party standing ovation Friday to Yaroslav Hunka, a 98-year-old who served with the Nazi Waffen-SS during the Second World War. Hunka was a soldier with the 14th Galicia Division of the Waffen-SS, the military section of the Nazi SS, which was responsible for elements of terror from massive extermination camps to the daily torture and repression of citizens within occupied Europe. The International Military Tribunal that oversaw the Nuremberg war crimes trials declared the SS to be a criminal organization. Now, is there any reason to trust that we were told properly about the Nuremberg war crimes trials? No, there's not. But let's keep going. The Associated Press captioned a picture documenting Hunka's presence, describing Hunka as having, quote, fought with the first Ukrainian division in World War II before later immigrating to Canada. The Galicia division was rechristened in 1945 with a Ukrainian name in order to avoid connecting it to the Waffen-SS. Hunka was a guest of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Zelensky was in Ottawa to address a joint session of Parliament and to pick up more military aid from the Liberal government. In his address to Parliament, Zelensky thanked Canada for its continued support to the war with Russia and suggested Canadians have always been on the bright side of history. House of Commons Speaker Anthony Rota gushed over Hunka's presence and told the members of Parliament that Hunka was, quote, a veteran from the Second World War who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians and continues to support the troops even at his age of 98. Rota did not attempt to explain how Hunka's belligerence against Russia did not serve Canada's objectives during World War II. Canada did not fight against the Russians in the Second World War, but along with Great Britain, the United States and many other nations was an ally of Russia or the Soviet Union, as it was then known. Kind of makes it sound like there were Ukrainian Nazis even back then. Now, I posted about this yesterday on Truth Social, and there is a woman on there named Julie who goes by at Ms. Julie M, like Ms. Julie M. 
who seems to really know her stuff. She says that she is a Nazi researcher. And I'm going to read some of her comments here because she has a different take on who this Yaroslav Hunka might actually be. She says, I'm a Nazi researcher who happens to have a great aunt executed by Himmler. I'm also Polish and that side of my family suffered dearly under the Nazi regime. Little Castro is a disaster and it's possible Yaroslavl Hunk was Germanized while in the SS, but this could not be further from the truth. No part of this fits as this guy being anything but a Slav, a laborer, not nobility, who was probably already captured by Nazis and was recruited to fight Bolsheviks. She goes on in another post. They picked a Slavic guy to hail as a Nazi criminal, not one of their bloodline. This is an attempt to blame Slavs, as they referred to them as slaves, as Nazi war criminals. Who's Slavic? Melania Trump. And they did it just days after the Polish MEP excoriated them in parliament. She continues. So history aside, although the history still has me super irritated this morning, this is both a word game of which they are sending other nobility a message, and they intended to elicit a response by propping up a Slavic guy on stage. This could not have been done better if Himmler and Goebbels were alive today. This soldier's last name is Hunka. A hunk is a disparaging term for Slavic people, and most probably the precursor to honky, which is a disparaging term for white people. Both honk and honky are not only racially disparaging terms, but they are hierarchically disparaging terms. They are not nobility, not typically landowners. They are typically laborers or factory workers. They are not high-born or academics. Second, they just equated Slavs as Nazis. Whether this guy committed war crimes, I don't know. I don't have his dossier. What I do clearly understand is Nazi racial policy and their policy on Germanization, which she puts in parentheses, torture. They are suggesting that Slavic people were Nazis as well. They are blurring lines. Example, most Wehrmacht were just military soldiers, albeit the 64 Oberkommando Himmler replaced. And I think she may mean aside from right there. Most SS were Sippe, bloodline and cult albeit a handful, had Annenbuchs, nobility, but not cult. Furthermore, they knew conservative media would latch onto this, which riles up the conservatives. They are baiting people to go unhinged. So if she is right, she is pointing out a very interesting wrinkle in this PSYOP. And you can say, well, wait, how do you know it's a PSYOP? Well, the whole thing is a PSYOP in one way or another. A lot of people have speculated that there might even be something else going on with the comedic actor himself. This is the sort of thing that you wouldn't expect them to get wrong. So how could it even happen? Now, I'm not sure if this interpretation is correct and that all of this is some regime shaming mechanism to communicate to the other side, to rub their noses in it, but it's possible. No matter what, this does push us farther down the path toward understanding who and what Nazis really were and how their communications actually work. Their whole thing is rewriting history and doing the old switcheroo about the parties responsible. I've talked about this at length when it comes to race relations and the party alignment in the United States. We've been taken to the point through this persistent psyop where we now imagine that Republicans are the ones aligned with racism and that Republicans, for instance, were the party of 
the Klan, and that somehow all of that is aligned with America first and populism and nationalism because of the current alignment of some of the Republican Party. And we're supposed to believe all of that nonsense construct that they've created while at the same time, the man pretending to be president right now in service of the regime, the fake president, Joe Biden, was himself mentored by a Klan leader for three decades in politics. We pretend that is totally invalid and it's the other guys, no matter what. That is the product of a pretty extensive switcheroo psyop. And we could be seeing part of that happening right now with this relationship. So I don't know what the answer is, but it's something to keep in mind as this develops. Now, as this user on Truth Social points out, this particular person might be something other than he's described to us to be. But regardless of the outcome of that, it is true that Canada didn't just begin its little Nazi problem. And this article from the Post Millennial mentions a tweet from a guy named David Pugliese, who tweeted back in 2020, how did 2000 members of Hitler's SS come to Canada after World War II? And why did the Canadian government allow that to happen? My latest article, the RCAF officer who brought Hitler's Waffen SS to Canada, and that's Royal Canadian Air Force. And that's not some isolated article. Even the leftist rag, the nation was aware of Canada's history with Nazis. And we've seen multiple instances of this over the last few years. This is from July 21st, 2020. Canada's Nazi monuments. The subheading says, why does Canada have not one, but several memorials to Nazi collaborators? And why, when statues are toppling all over the world, have Canadian Jewish groups remained silent? And this was the summer of love where BLM Antifa Domestic terrorists on behalf of the global regime were trying to knock down monuments all over. Got to get rid of that inconvenient history. But let's go through just a bit of this article. Graffiti on monument commemorating Nazi SS division being investigated as a hate crime by police. Ordinarily, you'd assume a headline about Nazis as victims came from the onion. And indeed, they've been prescient on this. But it's 2020. We're well down the rabbit hole of the American president who calls neo-Nazis good people. And this all-too-real article is from the Ottawa Citizen, a major Canadian newspaper. Indeed, indeed, the news that Canada has a monument commemorating Third Reich soldiers is just the outer layer of a nesting doll of progressively shocking facts. Now, as I said, leftist rag. They are reiterating the notion that Donald Trump actually called neo-Nazis good people. That's not what he said at all. In fact, when he said there were very fine people on both sides at that Charlottesville event, he was talking about people who didn't want the monument torn down. He actually made it very clear. He said explicitly that he's not talking about neo-Nazis and white supremacists who should be condemned completely. He said that in the very same string of comments. So this is a rabid Trump hater who is willing to lie about Donald Trump to reflect his Trump hate and to signal to the audience of the communist rag, the nation. So a nesting doll of shocking facts. First, Canada has not one, but several memorials to Nazi collaborators. Second, even though Canada, like the United States, is in the midst of a reckoning about statues to monsters. 
The chances of Ottawa's doing anything, even speaking out on this, are next to none. Finally, Canadian Jewish organizations, people you might think have an interest in denouncing monuments, celebrating butchers of Jews, have been distinctly silent about this. That's both stunning and unsurprising. Isn't that incredible that they can say things like that? This little communist wants everyone to know that he doesn't like Nazis, but that the real Nazis are on the other side. And that's proven by the fact that Donald Trump said something nice about them, even though he didn't say that thing. But how else could he prove that Nazis are actually on the other side? He notes that Canadian Jewish organizations don't seem upset at all by these Nazi monuments. He calls this stunning and unsurprising, which are actual opposites. And he goes on to say a couple paragraphs later, the story about Jewish organizations appeasing Holocaust distortion is far simpler. It's a story about silence and cowardice. He goes on to write about the very same unit, the SS Galicina and the Waffen SS. And he even cites that same article by David Pugliese. But the point here is there is nothing new about Canadian Nazis and the public honoring of Nazis in Canada through these statues. This is nothing new. And I'm not going to linger too long on this article. Read it for yourself if you like. But he does note below the most infamous case of Nazis launching successful post-war careers in the new world is Operation Paperclip. When the U.S. government secretly brought over Nazi scientists and engineers who helped pioneer America's rocket program. But Operation Paperclip is known only because of its impact. The truth is the United States and Canada took in thousands of concentration camp guards, SS fighters and other Nazi collaborators from Ukraine and other nations such as Latvia, which had its own SS division, won it honors today with parades. Isn't that crazy? We went over to annihilate these Nazis and we're told that we won World War II. The proof of that is that we nuked Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Those big explosions, those showed the whole world that we really won World War II. And that's part of how willing we were to defeat Nazism. We would nuke all of Japan in order to defeat Nazism. And then as soon as we did, we collected thousands of them and brought them over here. Now, concentration camp guards and workers were concentration camps, work camps. And were those work camps owned by American corporations? And are those American corporations still making American products today? Yes, 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 yes. And yes. And they brought Nazi scientists over to lead our scientific endeavors in America. Isn't that amazing? How does it happen? Rocket ships. Wow. Nukes. Oh, that was Oppenheimer, that Prussian. They set up the Manhattan Project at the Bohemian Grove. Naturally, we see forced medical experimentation and did throughout the entire COVID vaccine rollout. And of course, all of Big Pharma started with the Nazis. So you almost have to wonder how it is that we actually won World War II. It seems more like they just moved the Nazis over here. And that could explain why the Uniparty in America is so down to support Nazis in Ukraine. And it could explain why Nazi collaborator Prescott Bush had two people in his lineage that ended up becoming president, and they even tried for a third. And oh, that same family just had the attorney general of Texas impeached. 
because they couldn't get George Prescott Bush the nomination for attorney general last year. But thank goodness we defeated those Nazis in World War II. For more on that, so you can continue to understand this world better and begin to unravel all the great many things we relied about, I would suggest you check out the Prussiagate series, prussiagate.substack.com by Will Zoll. They present an extensive history of absolutely all of it. And at some point during your review of Prussiagate, you will come to the sub-series Prussiagate Urania, where you will hear about the Weimar and Nazi history of the current gender agenda in America. All of the LGBTQIA++ and eventually pedophiles agenda and its roots with these same people. Now, speaking of that batshit crazy gender agenda, last week we were treated to one of the most insane characters we have seen so far throughout this entire period. This is batshit crazy at its batshit craziest. It's beginning to seem like the batshit infection is even more transmissible and more dangerous than the bat coronavirus infection that they put in someone's soup. Last week, we were treated to a full hefty portion of a trans person named Sarah Ashton Cirillo, who somehow became a spokesperson for Ukraine's defense forces. Now, most of you have seen this guy. I'm going to play it anyway, because I think it's absolutely hysterical. But before I do that, let's just take a little glance at the Wikipedia page of this character, Sarah Ashton Cirillo. Here's what it says on Wikipedia. Sarah Ashton Cirillo, born 9 July 1977, formerly Sarah Cirillo and Sarah Ashton, and probably had a man's name at some point too is an American former journalist who has worked as a spokesperson for Ukraine's territorial defense forces, in which she is a junior sergeant, a self-described recovering political operative from Las Vegas, Nevada. She was active in Nevada politics from 2020 to 2021, including an abortive run for Las Vegas City Council. She arrived in Ukraine in March 2022, shortly after the full-scale Russian invasion, and has variously served as a war correspondent, a representative in aid negotiations, a civilian analyst with the Ministry of Defense, and a combat medic. And if you're thinking, my, 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 that sounds like this person must be some sort of strange intelligence asset because this doesn't sound like a real person, you would be exactly right. Now, let's just take a little tangent over to the territorial defense forces of which we are told Sarah Ashton Cirillo is a part. The territorial defense forces are the military reserve component of the armed forces of Ukraine. The territorial defense forces were formed after the reorganization of the territorial defense battalions. Volunteer militias created during the war in Donbass under the command of the Ministry of Defense. Territorial defense units existed from 2015 until 2021 in semi-organized forms until 2022, when they were officially organized into a unified corps that formed a separate branch of the armed forces of Ukraine. So this unit started during the ethnic civil war in the Donbass that began after Ukraine's government was overthrown, after the Maidan revolution, 
or the revolution of dignity, as they now refer to it, after Victoria Newland went in there and performed her normal magic routine. A little more about the Territorial Defense Forces. It is formed by a corps of part-time reservists, usually former combat veterans, and in cases of war can be expanded to include local civilian volunteers for local defense in a case of mass mobilization, with the corps expected to lead the mobilized volunteers. The TDF was officially activated with the start of the 2022 Russian invasion of Ukraine, and more than 100,000 civilians had volunteered by March. So we're basically told that this trans person who ran for Las Vegas City Council went and joined the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine initially as a war correspondent, then as a representative in aid negotiations, then as a civilian analyst with the Ministry of Defense, and then as a combat medic. Ashton Cirillo drew national media attention in 2021 when she released records of conversations from her time working with Republican candidates, documenting efforts to recruit members of the Proud Boys, a far-right group, for a planned Brooks Brothers riot as part of efforts to overturn the outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election. So this person was linked to the Proud Boys trying to stage the very violent insurrection. Then she became the first international trans war correspondent, then had a bunch of different jobs, none of which she sounded qualified for, and then became a spokesperson for the Territorial Defense Forces. Now, apparently to standard issue villagers, because it says this on Wikipedia and because they saw the video and because they've read the news, they think that all of this just must have happened. So if you say, hey, Kami, it sounds like this whole thing is fake. How do I know that? Well, because it's impossible for all of these things to be true. And you are telling me that they must all be true because you've been told that they're true, even though you have no idea about any of this and never heard of this person until two weeks ago. How does that work, oh, friendly villager? And they won't know, but it doesn't matter because they can't imagine a scenario where all of this could be fake. But it pretty clearly is fake. And you can kind of tell because of what this person is actually saying when she makes videos. This video is one of the fakest things I've ever seen. And knowing that means that this is one of the funniest things that anyone could ever imagine. It is like an SNL skit where half the people watching it think it's 100% real. On September 13th, this totally real person tweeted this. Since there are several people asking for this video and many discussing it on Telegram and across social media channels, here is my latest episode of Russia Hates the Truth. The Russians and their supporters are gnashing their teeth as predicted. Russia hates the truth that their obsessive focus on a Ukrainian volunteer is simply allowing the light of the Ukrainian nation's honesty to shine brightly. Next week, the teeth of the Russian devils will gnash ever harder and their rabid mouths will foam in uncontrollable frenzy as the world will see a favorite Kremlin propagandist pay for their crimes. And this puppet of Putin is only the first. Russia's war criminal propagandist will all be hunted down and justice will be served as we in Ukraine are led on this mission by faith in God, liberty, and complete liberation.
I mean, that sounds like a hostage video in a bad movie. Next week, the teeth of the Russian devils will gnash ever harder and their rabid mouths will foam in uncontrollable frenzy as the world will see a favorite Kremlin propagandist pay for their crimes. This is basically a threat to assassinate media figures who they claim are supporting the Russian side. And Breitbart reported about this in the aftermath of this ridiculous video. American conservative journalist Jack Posobiec put on enemies of Ukraine list. And Posobiec, of course, wasn't the only one. There was a list of thousands of individuals, among them Steve Bannon and Charlie Kirk and Tulsi Gabbard and Victor Orban and even Pink Floyd's Roger Waters. These are the Kremlin propagandists, and Sarah Ashton Cirillo was promising that at least one of them would be assassinated, causing the teeth of the Russian devils to gnash ever harder. And after this video went viral in the middle of last week, we got headlines like this one from Newsweek. Ukraine suspends transgender spokesperson after fight with Republican. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, what are you supposed to say about this stuff at this point? A message from the TDF announcing Ashton Cirillo's suspension was posted on X, formerly Twitter. It said statements she made in recent days were not approved by the command of the TDF or the command of the AFU, and that's the uh, armed forces of Ukraine. Their statement read, when conducting military operations against the aggressor, the defense forces of Ukraine strictly observe the norms of international humanitarian law. The command of the TDF will conduct an official investigation into the circumstances of these statements. Appropriate decisions would be taken. Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo will be suspended immediately pending the investigation. So let's break this down for a second. This person, who is almost definitely some sort of intelligence asset, ran for city council, was involved with the Proud Boys in an attempt to overturn the 2020 election, which is not really what the Proud Boys did and wasn't what January 6th was. So the lie is already included in that description. And by the way, we know that some in these Ukrainian Nazi battalions, as reported, were part of what happened on January 6th. That wasn't MAGA doing that. This person may well have been involved in that, I think we're probably going to find out that's the case. But this person went over there, had all those different jobs, and then ended up being a spokesperson. And now she is communicating in English and making threats against what she calls Kremlin propagandists. Now, we know these people are not Kremlin propagandists. That's the first thing. But beyond that, why is this being communicated in English? It's certainly not a threat to the Kremlin. This is for a Western audience. Maybe there are still people in this country who would watch this and take it very seriously and think that there really is a threat to these people, that they are really Kremlin propagandists. If any of this is supported in any way by the regime in Ukraine, then they are doing an absolutely terrible job. Is it possible that anyone could be so incompetent? And yes, I suppose it is possible, but it seems rather unlikely which might lead one to believe that this is something else. 
might lead one to question who exactly is in control of this whole situation. At the end of that line of questioning, it would be awfully hard from my perspective to see how you could come up with Joe Biden, despite Joe Biden leading the Western alliance better than anyone since the end of the Cold War. That same Joe Biden who knows that the leading recipient of Defense Department contracts, Elon Musk, who owns the private company Starlink, refused to go along with the regime's interest in Ukraine, making it impossible for them to wage the war they wanted to wage. And Elon Musk has still retained his position despite this expert leader in the fake president, Joe Biden, also being, we are told, the commander in chief of the U.S. military. All of this is totally unbelievable, but that's not even where it ended. The batshit infection is spreading. This is human events from Saturday. Zelensky taps spirit cooking artist who cut pentagrams into her stomach as new ambassador for Ukraine schools. That is a real headline. Now Zelensky has reportedly tapped Serbian experimental performance artist Marina Abramovich to help rebuild schools in Ukraine. Quote, I have been invited by Zelensky to be an ambassador of Ukraine to help the children affected by rebuilding schools and such. Abramovich's latest show at the Royala Academy of Arts in London features nude gates, two naked male models that attendees must traverse to enter the exhibit. In an interview with the Modern Art Museum in Shanghai, she touted her accomplishment as, quote, the first artist to support the Ukraine war against Russia and to give my voice. It is definitely a repetition of history. Abramovich grew up under communism behind the Iron Curtain during the Cold War. Skipping down a bit just to add some some color, some flavor to this whole thing. When she was 29, she undertook a performance where she burned her body and her hair by lying in the middle of a burning star shape. There was this one piece where I almost died lying in the burning star, she told the New York Times in 2012. My hair was burning. I was burned everywhere. In the morning, my grandmother was in the kitchen making breakfast. She saw me and thought she saw the pure devil and threw everything on the floor and ran away. She also held a dinner in which she had invited her friend, Tony Podesta, who was the brother of John Podesta, who was running Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. She sent an email to Tony, inviting him to a spirit cooking dinner. This gained her accusations of Satanism and being part of a global pedophile ring. The email revealed during a leak from WikiLeaks of Podesta's hacked emails reads, Dear Tony, I am so looking forward to the spirit cooking dinner at my place. Do you think you will be able to let me know if your brother is joining? All my love, Marina. Now, of course, she denies all of this and claims that she is just an artist, but an artist that grew up under communism uses satanic imagery, imagery about cannibalism, and just so happens to be very close friends with the Podestas. Even as they run Hillary Clinton's campaign, she is also friends with plenty of Hollywood celebrities. And now, apparently, the comedic actor Volodymyr Zelensky has said, hey, you know who we need to get involved to rebuild children's schools in Ukraine? Let's get that woman who is accused of being part of a satanic pedophile cult. 
Now, do you remember earlier when I was talking about how we've been directionally right this whole time? Do I believe that the U.S. should be supporting this war in Ukraine? My answer is simply no. Everyone who supports the regime, the standard issue uniparty villagers out there, the child brains out there in the world, people who voted for Joe Biden, people who believe Joe Biden got 81 million real lawful American votes. Those sorts of people went all in on supporting Ukraine. They thought that was a good idea based on what they had seen on TV and not thought about at all. Now, in the last week, those people have had to confront being told that Canada is honoring a Nazi with Zelensky, that this deranged tranny threatening assassinations against Kremlin propagandists was on their side and someone they have to agree with, and that Marina Abramovich is on their side and someone they have to agree with. Because you see, they have to agree with the whole thing, everything they do, otherwise everything falls apart. Somehow it's those people who really, really believe they've been right the whole time. How can they possibly account for these things? How could they possibly keep a consistent or coherent worldview about absolutely any of this? And of course they can't because they've been wrong the entire time from deep down at the bottom. They have been wrong the entire time. And with every one of these stories, with each one of these moments, they get to make a decision. Is this the moment where I throw my hands up and say enough is enough? None of this is true. I cannot pretend it is any longer. Get me out. Take me out of this. They just won't do it. They can't do it because if they do do it, everything else falls apart. What they will do is try to check out and they will start ignoring all of this stuff. And when people ask them, hey, where are you at on that whole Ukraine thing that you were really supporting? Did you see this crazed tranny saying that Russian devils are going to gnash their teeth ever harder and their mouths are going to foam uncontrollably? Oh, you missed that? You checked out? Oh, because Vladimir Putin is not a threat to the world any longer? We don't need to defend Ukraine's sovereign borders or else Russia's going to try to take over the whole world? Is that not going to happen now? Because like you were telling me that we needed to risk everything as a country to defend Ukraine from Russia. Are you telling me you've just stopped paying attention? I thought that this was an existential crisis to absolutely all of us. And now you're just back to focusing on Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey having a fake relationship as the best tight end in the NFL has completely sold his soul to become a pop stars male accessory. The guy is even doing commercials for the new Pfizer shots right now. And at the end of this Pfizer commercial is Travis Kelsey in a sleeveless sweatshirt with two band-aids on his arm because he got two shots. One of those band-aids is Pfizer blue or Ukraine blue, both work. And the other one is a nice yellowish brownish color. Kind of looks like the Ukraine flag. Is it random? Of course not. They try to distract themselves with pop culture and pretend they never got involved with talking about politics and it still doesn't work because it's right there in your pop culture. Now, it's funny, isn't it? The Marina Abramovich connections to the Clintons mentioned right in there because the Clintons and the Clinton Foundation ended up back in the news last week as well in relation to Ukraine. This is ABC News on September 17th. 
Clinton Global Initiative to launch network to provide humanitarian aid to Ukrainians. So if Marina Abramovich going in and fixing their schools so that Ukrainian children could learn and not be trafficked wasn't enough to tip you off on something strange going on. Now we have the Clintons going in to provide humanitarian aid, much like they did in Haiti, which we will also get to in just a second. Pope Francis urged all people to do their part to address the world's problems, especially climate change and the care of children, to open the Clinton Global Initiative Monday in New York in a talk with former President Bill Clinton. We are in need of a great and shared assumption of responsibility, the pontiff said through a translator in a video conference with Bill Clinton. No challenge is too great if we meet it starting with personal conversion and the personal contribution that each of us can make to solve it. No challenge can be overcome alone, not alone, only together, sisters and brothers, children of God. The need to keep going is the theme of this year's Clinton Global Initiative or CGI. Oh, wait, isn't CGI computer generated imagery like all that fake stuff we see in movies? Yeah, it is. As Bill Clinton, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and Clinton Foundation Vice Chair Chelsea Clinton say they will convene political, business, and philanthropic leaders to build on the momentum of the conference's return last year after a six-year hiatus. CGI announced numerous new programs Monday that it hopes will gather new monetary commitments and engagement, including gender equality and continued support for the people of Ukraine. CGI plans to announce the launch of the CGI Ukraine Action Network, as well as numerous financial pledges to support nonprofits working in the country. The CGI Ukraine Action Network is the result of a collaboration between Hillary Clinton and Olena Zelenska, First Lady of Ukraine, that began last year. The new organization, which will be formally announced Tuesday, is designed to mobilize existing CGI partners as well as new leaders from around the world to create and finance new commitments for Ukrainians, according to CGI. Numerous monetary commitments for Ukraine are also set to be announced Tuesday. The article notes how important this support from the Clintons will be, even aside from the monetary value. The nonprofit Save Ukraine which has opened community centers across the country to help families and especially children traumatized by the war and works to rescue Ukrainian children who have been detained in Russia is set to receive commitments of support during CGI that it plans to use to open more centers. Actor Liev Schreiber, co-founder of Blue Check Ukraine, which vets small Ukrainian nonprofits doing humanitarian work in their communities so that donors can learn about these smaller organizations and feel comfortable funding them, said reminding people about what Ukrainians are still going through may be the most important part of CGI. So the Clinton Global Initiative is back up and running, and they are going to use Ukraine as their excuse for this massive money laundering through this web of nonprofits all designed to rescue and protect children. Now, I said we were going to come back around to UN peacekeeping missions and Zero Hedge posted this article on Saturday. Speaking of Haiti, U.S. to finance train Kenyan soldiers for mission to Haiti. Now, we covered UN peacekeeping missions a few weeks ago and how 
those UN peacekeeping missions had been used to train these little kind of side armies in these small African nations, which would then help the regime control countries and tamp down sovereign movements in those countries on behalf of the global regime. The U.S. is preparing a U.N. Security Council resolution to authorize Kenya to send its soldiers to Haiti. Washington believes Nairobi can aid Port-au-Prince in restoring order to gang-controlled territory. So it's like terrorists, but not quite. The Joe Biden administration said the American taxpayers will foot the bill for the deployment and U.S. soldiers will train the Kenyan force. For a year, the White House has sought a third country to send its soldiers into Haiti as U.N. peacekeepers. After Canada resisted American pressure to lead the force, Nairobi agreed to send its troops to the Caribbean nation. The AP notes that some Haitians are opposed to the deployment of U.N. soldiers from Kenya. In 2010, U.N. forces released sewage, causing a cholera outbreak that killed nearly 10,000 Haitians. Additionally, Kenyan soldiers have been credibly accused of war crimes in Somalia, where Nairobi conducted military operations in the name of counterterrorism. This effort is being coordinated with Haitian Prime Minister Ariel Henry, who the article notes, if you recall, took over power after former leader Jovernel Moise was assassinated in July of 2021. The Biden regime actually supported his ascent to power after that assassination, that leader who was assassinated was one of the rare leaders around the world who stood up to the COVID regime on behalf of his country. The article in Zero Hedge notes at the end, the Haitian prime minister has backed foreign intervention in his nation despite UN peacekeepers track record of human rights abuses. UN soldiers are infamous for having sex with underage girls and leaving women without financial support. And that is just one example of the various corruptions and atrocities committed by so-called UN peacekeeping forces. It is, of course, worth recalling that Haiti was absolutely devastated by the Clintons in the aftermath of the 2010 earthquake. And now the Clintons are going to help out Ukrainian children in the same way they helped out Haiti. It's hard to believe that a UN peacekeeping mission is necessary in a place the Clintons helped out so much. Now, all of this might sound like it's going really, really badly for Ukraine and for the global regime based in Ukraine. And that's true. It's actually going even worse than that. While Volodymyr Zelensky was palling around with the global evil twin as represented in America by the Uniparty and in Canada by Fidel Castro's bastard son, things were still happening in Europe. The Guardian reported on the 21st, that's last Thursday. Poland will no longer send weapons to Ukraine, says Prime Minister, as grain dispute escalates. The Prime Minister, Mateusz Morawiecki, said his country had decided to prioritize its own defense in the future. We are no longer transferring weapons to Ukraine because we are now arming Poland with more modern weapons. Good for you. Poland first. And while that made headlines, others in the Polish government and across Europe tried to do a bit of damage control. The Warsaw government spokesperson Piotr Muller clarified the statement, noting that Poland, quote, is only carrying out previously agreed supplies of ammunitions and armaments. Duda also claimed that Morawiecki's words had been misinterpreted in the worst way possible, saying 
In my opinion, the prime minister meant that we won't be transferring to Ukraine the new weaponry that we're currently buying as we modernize the Polish army so they can still have our old stuff. The Guardian also notes that this controversy is coming as a result of electoral conflicts in Ukraine and the Polish population beginning to show some Ukraine fatigue. So even the Poles, who we are led to believe support this Ukrainian effort quite strongly, even they are backing away a bit. And let's end with this. This is from Saturday in CNN. Never insult Poles again. Poland's Prime Minister tells Ukraine's Zelensky. Poland's Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki has told Volodymyr Zelensky never to insult Poles again after the Ukrainian president suggested his neighbor was putting on a show over their disputes on grain exports. So same issue. Zelensky wants to let the world know Morawiecki is not really going to stop sending us weapons. The Polish leader fired back at Zelensky after the Ukrainian leader offered a veiled criticism of Poland at the United Nations General Assembly this week, saying the dispute was political theater and that, quote, some of our friends in Europe have, quote, made a thriller from the grain. I want to tell President Zelensky never to insult Poles again, as he did recently during his speech at the UN, he said. The Polish people will never allow this to happen. And defending the good name of Poland is not only my duty and honor, but also the most important task of the Polish government. Now consider all of this with what the mainstream media has been doing slowly, telling people that Ukraine is not going to win, that Ukraine actually is quite corrupt, that maybe Volodymyr Zelensky is not the guy we told you he was. And oh yeah, maybe that Nazi thing, maybe there was something to that. We get all of that. We get the story about how Elon Musk made it impossible for Ukraine to carry out one of their most important missions. Now we can't be mad at Ukraine failing because there's no room for that sort of doubt when it comes to their ultimate victory. So we can at least tell them that the problems are Elon Musk's fault. Hating Elon Musk is already good, according to these people. Remember how all of this was 19 months ago. We were shamed for even putting up an opposition to full support for Ukraine in this brutal Russian invasion. And how does that look now? Can you imagine having hung a Ukraine flag on your house and then understanding that all of that stuff I just said is really happening out there in the world in this public narrative. These are things that other people will know. This is the context of this situation, the lens through which people will view this situation in the future. What is the Ukraine flag hung on people's houses going to look like in the future when all of this is what they actually supported? And then there's us where right down on the roots. We were right the whole time. It doesn't mean we got every detail, right? We might still be wrong about significant things. The point is, it doesn't matter because down at the roots, when the question was asked, do you believe the U.S. should be supporting this war effort in Ukraine against Russia? We simply said, no, there's nothing that would convince us this is the sort of thing we should start a world war over. There has never been any reason for us to change that position. And that position is consistent with all of our other positions, 
Isn't it amazing how that works? These people are going to have to explain their support of Ukraine forever. And what are they going to say? Oh, everybody was wrong in the same way we were. It's incredible how that always happens. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at imyourmoderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct 
shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!